Um, now let's turn our attention and have God's word open us up. We'll be looking at Acts chapter 4, verses 13 to 31. Let's all rise as we read God's word together. This is what God says. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside him, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God, saying and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the reading of God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes, 
that we would have eyes to see, that you would open our ears, that we would have ears to hear, that you would soften our hearts, that we would grasp what you have set aside for your holy people this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. In the previous chapter, uh, we saw the healing of a lame man at the temple gates by Peter and John. We're told that the man was over 40 years old and he was lame from birth. Through Peter and John, this lame man received something far more valuable than gold and silver. He received healing and he was made able to walk, to leap, and he does so by going into the temple and praising God. The people see this, everyone there, they see this, and they're astounded. And they start to gather around Peter and John for an explanation. So we find that Peter then takes the opportunity to proclaim Jesus as the Christ and that there is power in Jesus' name. Now eventually the commotion draws the attention of the priests and the captain of the temple guards and the Sadducees. And they become, we're told, greatly annoyed because Peter and John are teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They're teaching people that in Jesus, by trusting in him, you can be raised from the dead and have eternal life. So as evening draws near, more and more people seem to gather, and the Jewish council need to decide what to do with them. And they decide to quell this commotion by putting Peter and John in custody, and they conclude, you know what, we'll, we'll deal with this dudes in the morning. All right, maybe if we could put them away, silence them for a little bit, let's wait, let's see what happens, let's sleep on it, and it'll hopefully just die out in the morning. Then we're told in the Bible that overnight, the number of people who believe in Jesus grows by the thousands. The men alone are now around 5,000. We go from 120 to 2,000 to now, I'm sorry, 3,000 to now 5,000. And in today's text, we witness Peter and John facing persecution for the sake of the gospel. They're not necessarily persecuted for doing a good deed and healing a man, but more so because in so doing, they are teaching by the power and authority of Jesus who can give eternal life. So just in a few days of the birth of the new church, just a few chapters into the book of Acts, Christians of the early church are experiencing persecution and questioning and being put on trial almost from the onset. So we'll look at two things. First, what does Peter and John, or how does Peter and John respond? And secondly, how does the larger church respond? So first, how do, how do Peter and John respond directly while they are in and before the Jewish council? And then how does the larger church respond? And by answering these two questions, we'll see that persecution is a part of following Jesus, but the Spirit of Jesus leads the followers through this. Persecution is a given, so to speak. So first, how does Peter and John respond? So we find Peter and John here now surrounded by many witnesses. All the people who saw the lame man healed, they gather. Even that lame man himself is standing there. 
They are now before the Jewish council. This council is made up of rulers, elders, scribes, namely here, and Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander. And the question that they demand Peter and John answer is, is this, verse 7, look with me, verse 7. By what power or by what name did you do this? Essentially asking, by what authority did you heal this lame man? And by what authority are you teaching about Jesus and the resurrection from the dead? We're told that Peter being filled by the Holy Spirit, Filled by the Holy Spirit. We'll see this phrase come again later. But Peter being filled by the Holy Spirit. A commentator notes that this phrase is often understood today as being anointed, being filled and sent, emboldened. Peter being filled by the Holy Spirit says this. Look with me. Acts 4, 8 through 12 one more time. This is what he says. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them. Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him... This man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation, there is eternal life, there is salvation, forgiveness of sins, and no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So by what authority did Peter and Jesus act and speak? By the crucified and raised Jesus, who alone can save to the uttermost. Peter spoke plainly and poignantly. He was articulate before the council. He didn't fumble his words, but being filled by the Holy Spirit, he proclaimed the gospel of Jesus simply and poignantly. So then how did the council respond to this? Well, the following verses tell us that they had nothing to say in opposition. In fact, they were stunned. They looked at Peter and John, and it was very obvious by the look of them that they were uneducated. They were common men. They had no rabbinical training in theology or rhetoric. Yet here, as they stand before all these witnesses and the Jewish council, Peter being filled by the Holy Spirit... And nothing else, no other credentials, being filled by the Holy Spirit, is able to articulate the gospel so clearly. By the power of Jesus, he made clear to all who are witnessing again. He lays it out plain and simple. It is by the authority of the crucified and raised Jesus that now I am proclaiming Salvation in his name, and even able to give restoration to those who are broken. 
The council filled with men, essentially with PhDs and credentials and power and authority. These rulers and elders and scribes were astonished. They were stunned. You know, during one of my classes in seminary and apologetics, I asked my professor, truly feeling overwhelmed at the task of the pastorate in the years to come, truly feeling unprepared and unworthy to engage the intellectuals of the world, I asked, how can simple Christians, how could they ever engage with learned people with PhDs in religious studies, philosophies, and all these other disciplines who are articulate, who've written peace and and, and thought work, who go out and debate? How can a simple Christian who just who just goes to Bible study, sits in Sunday service, reads their Bible and pray, how can a simple Christian ever engage with and talk with these types of rulers and leaders and educated people? My professor, I remember, essentially said something along the lines of, the Spirit of God is the one who changes hearts. You simply speak the truth of the gospel, and if the Spirit chooses, he will let that truth ring in their hearts. He says something a little bit more cheeky. He said, he said if they have PhDs in something, it just means that they're an expert at suppressing the truth for a lie. But these were unlearned men, untrained men, men who simply walked and lived and sat at Jesus' feet. Being tried, could you imagine how intimidating and how afraid you and I would be? We can barely look the senior pastor in the eye when they walk by. Stood before the Jewish council, proclaimed the gospel of Jesus. Continuing on, the Jewish council, then they're, they're stunned. They dismiss them out and they gather together and they say, hey guys. Hey, boys, we got to do something about this. What, what can we do? They confer with one another and conclude that the only way to keep this gospel from spreading was to silence them and threaten them. Silence and threats. They say, okay, let's do that. They call them back in, Peter and John, okay, come, hey, the rulers and elders, the scribes, we gather, we talked about this. The person you healed is standing right there. There's no denying it. Everybody saw what happened. You told us very clearly why you're doing this and by whose authority. And this is our verdict. Don't, te- don't do this anymore. Do not teach, do not preach, do not act in the name of Jesus, Lord. They charged them to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. The council thought that that they had the final word now, and they hoped that by shutting them up, they would also stop the gospel. By silencing the disciples, that the gospel would remain powerless. Might I add, these are the same group of people who already crucified Jesus and thought that, hey, let's hang this guy on a cross, and it'll be over. Yet we see that the 
crucified and raised Jesus, now by the power of his spirit, as we've heard in last week's message, continues this gospel work through ordinary men and women. And just as we think that the Jewish council would have the final say before dismissing them, being confident, all right, We made them afraid. They're not going to preach and teach anymore. This is what Peter and John say as they boldly get the final words in. Look with me, verse 19 to 20. This is what they say. And Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. Now let me remind us, for those of us who perhaps think, I could never be so so bold, that this is the same Peter who has denied Jesus three times. But over the course of his growing and repenting and trusting, he resolves before the Lord to stand for what he now believes in. We see that from Peter, the smallest fear can lead you to deny Jesus even before a small child who asks, hey, weren't you with Jesus? The small amount of fear can make you so afraid of of the smallest thing. Yet being filled with the Spirit, he can now stand before rulers and elders and authorities of that time as a simple man and proclaim what he believes in with zeal and with conviction, with humility, with boldness. Peter and John basically say they must and they will continue to testify and to teach and to do the work of Jesus. And they, they can't help themselves because they've seen it They've heard it, they've experienced it, and they're trying to live it out now before God. They're basically saying, do what you want with us. But before God, we got to do what we got to do. And it's all good. These are some hard dudes. They're bold. Say, hey, man. Annas, you do what you got to do, man. And we got to do what we got to do. We can't help but to preach and teach and continue to do the work of Jesus because we believe in this. And, yeah, we're willing to give our lives to it. This is their response when attempts were made to silence the gospel, and when threats were made upon their lives. Church, are you listening? Are you following? Do you hear this? Do you see this? Apart from killing you, the only thing they can do is try to silence you. Well, well, if if to live is Christ and die is gain, then it's all good. And it's all good. I don't want to spoil it for you, but if we look ahead in Acts 5, which we'll do, we'll take a quick peep 
You know, last week I was upset because Pastor Stephen was, was up here and he was giving all the parallels of the life and work of Jesus' earthly ministry and how the apostles, he was just giving it all away. I was going to run up and tackle him and say, hey, you know, we've got to preach that in a few weeks, man. Don't, don't give it all away. But we're going to take a quick peek. We'll look at chapter 5, verse 40 to 40, 41. And spoiler alert, spoiler alert, they end up back in court before the Jewish council. And this is what happens. And when they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles end up back in court. And the Jewish council come through with their promise. They beat them. They charge them again, stop speaking in Jesus' name, stop doing what you're doing, and they let him go. And they thought, you know what, that'll teach him. They thought we were bluffing, they called us, we beat them, we doubled down on this, we let him go. And this is what they do, this is crazy. Then, <laughs> this, is what, this is what the apostles do, right? Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing. That they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And in all seriousness, they, they leave after being beat and threatened. And they were rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer like Christ did. They were, they were worthy to suffer dishonor for Jesus' name. And it's all good. When persecution is mentioned in the Bible, we find that the disciples rejoice. Their response to getting beat and silenced and belittled and harassed is rejoicing. I, you know, I don't know, of, of all the joys you and I will probably experience as a Christian, I don't, I, I don't know, in our context, I don't know if we will fully be able to enjoy and rejoice and experience this type of joy. But who knows? This is how Peter and John respond. You do what you got to do. We're going to do what we have to do. We believe in this, we believe in Jesus. We believe He really is the only way for eternal life. Yes, and we can have discussions about this and that and doctrine. Yes, we can talk about all these other social issues. But at the core, at the core of it, we believe that Jesus was crucified for our sins, raised on the third day. And that in his name, if we believe in him, our sins and our guilt are forgiven right now. We have no longer to be ashamed. And even if we die here and now, we will have eternal life. This is what we really believe. And this is what we're going to continue to preach and teach. So then how does the larger church respond? Peter and John are released from the council and they go back and report to their friends all that has happened. And what the chief priests and the elders said to them. Can you imagine Peter and John they go back, they tell their friends what happened, and their friends are in shock. No! You said that! Peter, you... Pete, you said that to Annas? You did, not, you did not say that. You did not say that. Stop playing. Yeah, that's what we said. John, come on! 
You guys, you're telling me in front of the Jewish council for all his people that that's what you said? You said that. You said those words. You said, you said that to your boy Annas, the chief priest, straight up, just like that? Just like that. For real? Yeah, man. For real. And when his friends heard this, when the church heard this, they didn't say, yo, this is crazy. Guys, this is serious. They just threatened us. They told us to stop this. We got to stop. They didn't say, hey, this, hey, this is serious stuff, man. Now, I think we should tone it down a little bit. Let's cut it out. Let's just focus on some of the other, other stuff. Let's just, let's just break bread for a while and just chill out and take it easy. They didn't say, let's, let's rethink this whole thing. Let's retreat. Let's, let's, try, let's try this a different way. No, verse 24 tells us, and when they heard this, they lifted their voices together to God and they prayed. They prayed. What did they pray? Look with me in verse 29 to 30. What did they pray? This is what they prayed. Acts 4, verses 29 to 30. And now... Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They said, Lord, look upon their threats, Lord. Look upon their threats and grant to your servants the boldness to continue to speak your word. What they're saying is, God, we hear their threats. And we are trusting that you are bigger than their threats, that you are greater than their power, and that your authority, your supremacy, your majesty, your glory, your sovereignty, your ability supersedes these men. So, Lord, look upon their threats as we look upon them. And will you grant to your servants the boldness to continue to continue to speak your word as you, God, as you stretch out your hand to heal to bring healing and renewal, forgiveness of sin and right standing as you stretch out your hands to heal and to do signs and wonders through your holy servant, Jesus, whom we are bondservants to. Lord, look upon their threats and give us boldness that we may continue to speak your word as we trust in the work that you have done through Jesus and as we trust in the work that you will continue to do in the spirit of Jesus. Verse 31 tells us that when they prayed this, the whole place shook. I gotta chill out. The whole place shook. And again, the phrase here, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just Peter and John, it wasn't just a few good men or honorable men or, or learned or miraculous men. All who have gathered, the friends, the church, who prayed for boldness, 
They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were anointed. They were emboldened, like Peter and John, to continue to preach God's word. What does this mean? This means as soon as they prayed, the Lord answered their prayers. Lord, give us boldness. Look upon their thoughts. Give us boldness. And what happened after they prayed? The Lord answers them. The Spirit filled them, emboldened them, and granted them the ability to continue to proclaim the gospel, the whole church, this ability, this boldness. They didn't need the, the approval, the authority of the rulers and the elders. They, they, all they needed is the authority of the Almighty God to grant them this boldness. The God who raised Jesus up from the dead... The God who looks upon the threats of man, the God who sees the nations raging and plotting and is unfazed, all they need is this God, the God that they trust, to grant them this boldness. So in conclusion, how should we respond to persecution? Well, uh, just a few points. Persecution is a guarantee for a follower of Christ. I think it's, it's, it's a natural and a part of following Jesus, and it's a given. Well, I don't think Scripture tells us this. And today, in our context, in our context here, it, it, it seems to happen in subtle ways. Uh, Ajith Fernando, in his commentary on the book of Acts, notes this, that after the third chapter in Acts, there are only three other chapters in the entire book that, that do not mention persecution. This, this means persecution pretty much happens at the onset of the New Testament church, and it continues to be the case through the growth and development of the church, even as we are now part of the church. Let me quote him here. This is Mr. Fernando in his commentary. This is what he writes. We often hear people say that they would like to get back to the book of Acts and have a church just like that. I think we've said it here before. I've fought it. We often hear people say that they would like to get back to the book of Acts and have a church just like that. But the view may have, but the view many have of this church is a romantic one. They think of a church that saw many miracles, much conversions, amazing unity, and spirit-filled leadership. They forget that Acts also describes the troubles the church faced from within itself and without. The most consistent trouble mentioned is persecution. With tolerance currently being the society's highest ethics, Christians are ironically tolerated to a certain point until we infringe upon what seems to be the current belief system of the world. Then by their own authority, they try to silence and threaten. But whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to them rather than to God, you must judge. For Christians cannot but speak of what they have seen and heard in Christ. Secondly, the power and authority to proclaim the gospel in boldness is given by the Spirit of Christ, not just to a few learned men. Now, I don't want to discount my office 
I don't want to discount the pastorate or theological education. It's very important. But I do want to highlight and encourage and embolden all of you who love Jesus, who know Jesus, who desire to sit at Jesus' feet, that you can proclaim the gospel, that you can do mighty works in his name, and that you, as you pray for boldness, will be given the words to say. It doesn't mean that all will go well and that you will win every soul. Again, as mentioned in our Friday CG, conversations with non-believers is not about winning an argument. It's about winning a soul. It may take a while. It might not happen. But if the Spirit chooses to open up their hearts, the Spirit will. But, but, but this is what the larger church is emboldened to do as God answers their prayer. It's not just Peter and John and the apostles that can preach and teach and perform in the name of Jesus. That authority is given to all of us. Therefore, church, brothers and sisters, how will you respond when, not if, but when the time comes for the testing of your faith, your trust, your belief in Jesus and his good news? I hope that it is with prayer that you boldly proclaim Jesus crucified and raised to give the call to repent and turn to him so that times of refreshing may come. And church, do it lovingly, do it humbly. Don't be a anus. Sorry. Just so you know, your, your pastors are probably the most immature group of guys. It's only, it's only the spirit of Christ that holds that back. But do it humbly, do it lovingly, and do it boldly as the Lord allows you to. Now, brothers and sisters, as we have heard and witnessed what has happened before the Jewish council of Peter and John, having heard this, let us now together Pray for boldness. Let's pray.